When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast where Everton have been to Hull and back and just about come back with an FA Cup victory and a place in the fourth round to face Brentford at the start of February. Everton, of course, getting a 3-2 win in extra time thanks to Andros Townsend, Screamer. I'm your host, Adam Jones. Today, joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley, where we'll go over that match, of course, all the all the nuances of that game. But it seems that a lot has happened since that match as well. We'll have mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> looking ahead to a now, again, postponed match against Leicester City. We'll discuss that with the lads. And we'll also discuss the very latest on Luca Dean's future with a uh, with some more transfer news happening over the course of the weekend. But Preno, as I say, we'll start with that match against Hull and goodness me, Everton made, made hard work of that, didn't they? Wow, yeah, it was uh, a lot more unnecessarily tense than it needed to be um, from the opening 45 seconds when once again, you know, so more dreadful defending from a set piece immediately puts you on the back foot. What was the stat I saw that you quoted afterwards about the number of times we've fallen behind in games this season now? It's absolutely... 15 out of 21, I think. it was. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's absolutely, you know, dreadful. I think it's each of the last eight games as well we've fallen behind. Yeah, you're immediately having to, you know, sort of play catch-up. You know, your confidence is immediately undermined. I mean, all right, let's look at the positives. It does indicate that there is character in the squad and they have got, you know, sort of the ability to pull back losing situations but you know you're putting yourself in a corner a very very difficult corner by doing that so yeah it, it was far more tense than it needed to be again that the system and the formation you know it leads you to believe that i'm sure he, the manager isn't being stubborn for the sake of it you know so to prove that you know so far the back can work but it looks that way sometimes doesn't it you think that you know he's determined to you know stick with that system until it actually works um it didn't to begin with you know Let's focus on the positives. There were a number of you know, positives. The quality of goals uh, was excellent. Loved Damari Gray's uh, performance again. You know, so I saw the uh, the uh, comparison this morning. Somebody pointing out Jaden Sancho cost seventy three million and the impact that he's had on Manchester United's performances this season compared to Damari Gray one point seven. That goal was just wonderful from the little flick with his heel to bring the ball back into play to the one two with Anthony Gordon to the composed finish. That was wonderful. Good to see Gomez, you know, so back in there again and actually performing well and getting on the score sheets, which was a bit of a rarity. And Anthony Gordon in flashes, you know, so showing, you know, so his continued good form. So, yeah, plenty of positives to look, look back on. But it was definitely much more tense and much more fraught than it needed to be. But we're in the hat. We got a home draw. It's a difficult home draw, but it could have been worse. I was hoping for kidding Mr. Harriers personally, but, you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, all, all in all, you know, let, let's let's focus on the positives. You know, so it was a result when that happened the next round, uh, but wow, it was uh, it was far more fraught than it needed to be. Mm. 
Well, I mean, Gav, we've talked about that formation after last week's game against Brighton, didn't we, with uh, Alan and Decore as the midfield two this time, last time around. This time it was Alan and Andre Gomez, which has got a little bit less legs than Alan and Abdoulaye Decore, and it kind of showed in that yeah. first 20 or so minutes, didn't it? But, you know, to be, fair, to be fair to the pair of them, I think they did improve as the match went on. Yeah, Gomez, you wouldn't stick him in a midfield too, would you? Really, he's not not his best when players are running at him and he's out of possession. Um, it's back to the question, of course, what would you do in the midfield today? But um, yeah, I mean, first 20 minutes were shaky, weren't they, completely? Um, we sort of tightened up a little bit. Um, I, get, I get people who say about the three against two, stopped us passing out the back a little bit, I think, as well. Um, you know, not not necessarily. You know, I've got a player who will take the ball off the back four and move move it forward. Um, yeah, it was strange play, Gomez, isn't he? Um, he's a when he's on. We're playing Hull here, remember? But sometimes when he's moving with the ball and running, he's he's lovely to watch, isn't he? Really smooth. Mm. But he's just but. Off the ball, he gets found out a lot, and he was he was lucky to stay on the pitch, wasn't he? To be honest with you, um, with that elbow, um, yeah. I, I, my 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 point is, if you play four three three, what what's the three that you're going to play to get the best out of the three? And I'm not sure there's an answer there. Um, and you know, so we we I think Phil said in his in his considered report, we muddled through. <laughs> So that's about the best you could say, really. But it was a lot more fraught than what we were what we were expecting. I mean, the whole surprised me actually. To be fair, for a club near the bottom of the, the championship, they had two or three really decent players there. Um, yeah. So it was more more Chris to the three midfield mill, wasn't it? Really, I suppose. Um, but I said, what my point is, and that is, who's the three, and what you lose elsewhere. So yeah, quite happy with the result. The performance. The, the most unnerving Saturday evening I've had since hmm. since watching Doctor Who as a kid. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was it was it was adequate, wasn't it? Just about. Mm. But um, it raised more questions than answers again, I suppose, which like a lot of our games have done over the last couple of months. Mm. And I think you know if we're talking about the defence bees, I think one of the Points that we've got to make note of is Vitaly Mikolenko getting his debut playing 120 minutes as well, which, which you know, after not training for a significant amount of time after you know, Ukraine's winter break, uh, he came in, had a bit of a shaky start, I would maybe say, but for the rest of the match, I think he looked pretty solid, didn't he, for his first prem- well, for his first match in England? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what um, Gav made of the TARDIS turning up at Anfield uh, recently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> at that, but yeah, go, uh, sticking on the game, young, young Vitali there. Yeah, I, I think it's probably fair to say he grew into the game, didn't he? Um, let's say his first experience in, in English football. And it, it, it is different, different sort of challenge, isn't it, than a, than a Premier League game. I think in, in many ways it would actually be... Um, more difficult and that it's probably not what you're used to in the in terms of the physicality and the intensity of the, the tie. I mean, certainly a rude awakening for any debutant, isn't it, in defence, conceding after 45 seconds. And uh, it was just curious, really, I thought, that um, with Benitez 
go into a championship side and starting with five defenders again. I mean, I, I don't know what sort of message that sent out. I maybe gave Hull a bit of a boost, thinking, well, Everton are like, really defensive here, and they did they fear us, you know, playing with five at the back. But yeah, um, I think he picked up a booking as well, didn't he? Um, um, yeah, he, 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 he certainly no no howlers like I said. Maybe looking a bit bit of nerves at the start and just sort of getting used to being around his new teammates. But yeah, he, he did grow into the game, and it was it was fairly encouraging. Not, not, nothing spectacular, and at least it, like I said, would it got, got the win eventually? And uh, two two hours of football under his belt as well, rather than just just the ninety, which would be uh, interesting as well with the Leicester game uh, being postponed. But yeah, they. It, 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 it was a decent enough debut in, in, in difficult circumstances and hopefully encouragement that there's a lot a lot more to come going forward. Mm. What did you make of it, Prana? Well, the, the thing as a whole. Um, frustrating, again. You know, like I say, there were you know isolated moments of positivity that you could pluck out, but overall, it was, uh, it, it, was it was deeply frustrating. Um, I know Rafa tried to justify, you know, the, the formation by explaining, well, you know, so Chelsea are the, you know, so uh, Champions League, you know, so winners, and you know, they play that system, you know, so they're, you know, so pushing for the title this season, you know, with five at the back. But they've got players who are, you know, absolutely suited to that system, and they've played that system for a long time. Um, Everton haven't, and you know, okay, it worked, you know, ironically at Stamford Bridge, you know, when you could argue that, you know, so the the system was like pushed onto the manager by the players he had available. And even then, you know, let, let, let's be realistic. You know, we could have conceded three or four in the first 20, 25 minutes, but we didn't. You know, the, the system settled down and we grew into it. So, uh, you know, so all in all, we've got to try and take the positives from it and build on that. Um, and I also suspect that the, uh, the formation was selected as a result of the manager believing they had a Premier League game on Tuesday, which is why he played the players that he did. Because uh, he wanted to, you know, sort of give some players, you know, some 90 minutes. He wanted to try and save players for Tuesday. And then, no, that will come on to that later. You know, so that's not going to happen now. You know, so we're not going to have that game. So that might have been pushed upon him as well. Uh, but bottom line is we're in the hat. You know, so we're through to the, you know, the last 32. Uh, we actually said in the build-up last week, this was massive, this game. We had to get a victory. Absolutely had to. And, and we did. And it was quite good to see the comments from some of the players afterwards on social media, you know, basically, realistically, you know, so celebrating that fact, not getting carried away, but hoping that they can build on it. Because confidence means so much. And you know, the fact that they've won, they've got a week to maybe dwell on it and work upon it on the training pitch, That you know, so hopefully that can add, you know, so to the, the I hesitate to say feel-good factor, but, you know, so certainly to the, uh, you know, so the confidence that we're going through the squad. And again, now at the weekend, you know, which, you know, very, very firmly falls into the uh, winnable category. So, uh, yeah, maybe just like very, very small green shoots of recovery starting to sprout. Admittedly very small. But, you know, so as as we know from reading Gavin's excellent book, which I finished uh, only last <laughs> week about uh, Everton in the 70s and early 80s, sometimes, you know, so periods of recovery can come upon you unexpectedly. Uh, you know, so these things, you know, so suddenly you know, recover from very, very, you know, small green shoots. Let's hope that that's some of them. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I mean, I suppose, Gav, aside the fact that this system of playing five at the back is that it puts a lot of pressure on, well, it, at the weekend, it was Damari Gray and Anthony Gordon to be the creative outlets for the side, but he stood up to that responsibility really well, didn't he? It was a, it was another great game from those two, I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a great, great goal, wasn't it? I mean, to be fair, we scored three great goals for all. Yeah. moan about the performance on Saturday. All our three goals were all uh, well crafted, well created, bits of individual skill. Three completely different goals as well. Yeah, the Demare Gray is a he's a very good player, isn't he? I, mm. I mean, I think. I would say comparing him to other players is like Sancho's part of a small fish in a relatively big pool at United. But I get that point out. The Margaret has been far more effective than his is his is his best season for goals or thereabouts, is it? Um yeah, be around there, yeah. He, he looks our best. even even with Richarlison and Carver Lewin fit, he looks our most potent attack and threats, doesn't he? Gives us something a little bit different coming in from the left and that that was a that was a top quality goal that wasn't it his goal from from start to finish bit of individual skill linked up the team making a smart snap finish excellent Anthony Gordon and I, I, I think to be fair I wouldn't take account to a playing Hull by the way in that first goal Anthony Gordon uh, again has continued his development over the last month um perhaps maybe should have passed to Gray was it when he hit the post um, yeah, but so there, um, probably being a little bit careless there, it's just experience, and he, he continued his development, which is good to see. Uh, and it's good generally. The who the play, the, you know, the players who sort of players who affected the game most on on Saturday for us were are all players who come to the club under Benitez, isn't it? Really, Begovic. Gordon, I know he's been there, but he's you know he's played most of the time as a Benitez, Gray and, and Townsend. Um, special mention for Begovic for a couple of great saves. I mean, the one in the one of the second half, he's probably repaid his entire annual salary with that save. <laughs> I really thought that was a brilliant save. Yeah. Um, yeah, but going back to the original point, Gordon and Gray, excellent, carries on their good work, which was there a little bit up against Brighton. Mm. Um, I think uh, Greg needs a bit of a rest. He's looked absolutely shattered at the end of the last yeah. two uh, two games. But yeah, I really like Greg. He's uh, got something about him, hasn't he? He's, he's a really talented player, and, and I hope he can get even better for us. Mm-hmm. I suppose on the other side of things, though, Bees, if we're talking about some of Rafa Benitez's arrivals, I think Salomon Rondon probably would have been looking at this game as a real opportunity against a championship defence to impose himself a little bit, have a bit more of an effect on the game, uh, maybe get a few goals under his belt. And, you know, I think he did okay as a target man, won a few headers, especially in in our own box, won a few headers from Hull's later set pieces. But I can't really remember him getting a chance in front of goal. He was, his link-up play wasn't the best up up the top of the pitch. And it it was a little bit disappointing from him, wasn't it? Yeah, he'd be frustrated, I think, like I said, that... Like where well, he did a lot of good things there for the team, but you know, as the number as the centre forward leading the line, he'd have he'd like to have had more opportunities come his way and uh, sort of looked like he was going to score at any point. I think there was one, was it possibly an extra time? I remember it was towards the end when he was sort of 
running through on goal and he got um, pulled back. Um, mm. The one that the referee, one of many strange decisions that didn't go Everton's way. I mean, it was actually the initial pulse, which would have been a free kick to Everton outside the area rather than the penalty when he eventually did go down. But yeah, he was a victim of strange, those two handballs as well. I mean, bizarrely, it's got us all saying, well, if only we had VAR. But yeah. I, I don't know. You should have spotted those kind of things. In, in, in You know, it weren't sort of difficult ones for the referee. He was, he was in a decent enough possession, position, sorry, um, Kevin Friend or uh, no friend of ours, as you might say, after those uh, couple of decisions. But yeah, the two handballs. Yeah, but going back to, to Rondon, yeah, he did a lot of the, you know, the, the, the donkey work and like you say, and did well for the team uh, in defensive positions. But yeah, as, as the, the main striker, you, you'd have liked to have had more opportunities. And like you say, would have seen this as an opportunity for um, getting some more goals under the belt. You know, it's, it's just the one so far, and um, you know, it's, it's a disappointing return. And I mean, that that could it could have actually backfired. And Everton, the fact that Calvert Lewin was presumably rested with Leicester City in mind, you know, keeping fresh for the game on Tuesday night, and you know, with that not happening now, just imagine if Everton had gone out of the cup now because they rested Calvert Lewin, and then the Leicester game didn't even go ahead. So. Another thing to be relieved about, but um, yeah, another frustrating afternoon, I'd say, on the whole for Rondon. I thought I thought he looked like what he is, you know, which is basically a free transfer acquisition brought in on his emergency measure that hasn't played any Premier League football for the best part of two years, and you know he's inching his way back towards you know sort of full fitness, and he, he did okay. Uh, personally, I think Cheng Tosin, I've said this a few times now, probably would have been the better option. And I know we can only look oh, at... Tosin like, was the one who got a shot on target well, exactly. in the game. <laughs> we can only look at like you know, his flat 60-second cameo right at the end where he managed to get a decent effort on goal. But Tosin will always do that for you. And um, the fact that he's going in, in the summer anyway, you know, why not? You know, so give him an opportunity. I don't know. Maybe he's not. You know, Rafa seems to be pay, paying great store on what people are showing on the training pitch. Um, you know, clearly that's why Lucas Dean, you know, still wasn't, you know, always left out initially uh, because of what he was showing, you know, on the training pitch. And you can imagine that Cheng Tosin possibly isn't, uh, you know, showing the same level of appetite and work rate that maybe Rondon is, which is why, you know, he's not getting the nod ahead of him. But to me, Tosin will always have a goal threat, if anything. And, uh, and Rondon clearly doesn't at the moment. So it probably would have been the better option. But it's hindsight, you know, he's, um, He's made his decision and you know, he's scraped through in the FA Cup. I said right at the outset when Rafael Benitez arrived at Everton. Um, what was it? Napoleon liked his lucky generals. And uh, Don't give me talented generals, give me lucky generals. And you look back on Benitez's career and has he been well, clearly a very, very talented coach? But has he been a bit fortunate on occasions You know, so in the past? You look at what happened at halftime in Istanbul. I was there. I know exactly, you know, what went on that night. But, you know, the absolute chaos reigned in that dressing room. We didn't even know that uh, Traore was injured and yet somehow managed to formulate you know, a winning system out of it. Last minute of an FA Cup final, getting beat by West Ham and Steven Gerrard scores a goal, the likes of which he'll never score again in his career. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, so Chelsea, you know, so the, the Europa League final really changes the system. You know, was it by good luck or good management? We don't know. So I'm kind of hoping that, you know, so Rafa has brought that either good coaching or good, you know, uh, good fortune to Goodison Park. 
If so, we used a fair chunk of it up on Saturday. But, you know, we're in the next round. <laughs> if he carries on being lucky in the FA Cup, it's a home draw, you know, so it could have been worse. So, yeah, fingers crossed, you know, so we've got a bit of good fortune in the, in the dugout at the moment. Mm. Well, I mean, Gav, I suppose while we're talking about the manager, we'll have to address the attitudes that uh, took place between, you know, some sections of the Everton away fans. You know, there was a banner, I think it was shown on the, on the, on the BBC, yeah. there was a banner, banner against... The manager, there were a few boos at some points, you know, chance, chance of uh, you getting sacked in the morning and stuff like that. Started by the Hull fans and then joined in by with uh, some of the Everton fans. And I really feel like this has created such a divisive topic over the last couple of days. You know, all, all the Everton fans that I've seen uh, have, have taken very sort of polarising views on on this sort of thing. Where do you where do you find yourself sitting on the like? Uh, I, I I sit on the fence that I fully. I said before on here many times, I fully acknowledge the right of fans to, you know, within the law to, to you know, to shout and shout whatever they, they, they like within football ground, as long as it's not abusive and, you know, law-breaking. But then again, I think if you pay money to support the team and, and they are supporters, then within that 90 minutes, you're su- supporting the team and the manager. By all means, do whatever you want outside the ground. But... Um, so I think ultimately that that's a distraction. It's a distraction from the players' performance, isn't it? And use that energy back in the team. You know, we've all been. I mean, I've been there myself many times. I'd you know nearly eighties where Howard kind of was talking about. You know, uh, so it's not as if I've not seen this before many times myself. Um, so and I've been in that position as a supporter. Um, but you've got. I, I I like to see fans supporting the team inside the ground. But broadcast, I'm just trying to think. I don't know what the viewing figures would have been for Saturday night. Several million. Does it make the look the club look in a good light on a national TV audience as well in terms of the image of the club? So is, the club in, is the club in a good light at the minute though? Well, it do, doesn't paint in a better light, does it really? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that type of stuff. I, I fully, but what people want to do, that's fine. That's their choice. But I personally wouldn't do it, mm-hmm. um, and I don't like to see it. It just doesn't look great. Um, but you know, it is. Let's face it. It's like a commonly quoted sort of theory now. It is possible to want not want Benitez as a manager and support the club at the game, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, you know, those two things don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive, you know. Mm. And I mean, I think moving on to you now, bees. I mean, that that's Mm. something that Rafa Benitez said in his post-match press conference. He was, he he kind of alluded to, doesn't matter what what fans think about me, they should get behind the team. Something that Andrew Townsend spoke about after after the game as well. He said he completely understands the fans' frustrations and the fans have every right to be frustrated, but. It's something that the players are looking in the mirror at themselves to try and sort, and they'll they'll just go out on the pitch and they just want to hear the cheers of fans at the end of the day, and you know that's that's something that Everton fans do anyway. I think really, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm sure Rafa is thick skinned enough because of, you know he's gone in and done that Chelsea job. He was absolutely vilified by massive sections of their fans. It was a, on the back of um, you know at the time, I think it wasn't too. Long before that, Chelsea and Liverpool had all those Champions League games against each other, and um, there was a real lot of 
bad blood. They didn't want Rafa. I think even John Terry had said from the start, you know, he didn't really wind there. But he's very stubborn in that respect or pig-headed, whatever you want to say, or maybe even brave. And the fact that... Um, you know, he, he, that'll that'll wash over him. That won't actually be uh, an issue for him if he thinks that he's he's the man for the job. And I'm sure he, he does. And taking this, you know, he he'll have known. He's lived in as he, that was one of the reasons he said he took the job. You know, he's lived in Merseyside for what we on now um, 17 years or more now. So he knows that he's the most controversial managerial appoint in the appointment in the city's football history either side of Stanley Park. And he'd have gone into that thinking, well, I can do a job. Anyway, I think that the, the big problem at the moment is not so much. I mean, his former Liverpool connections are always going to be a big issue. And it means he's got no credit in the bank and with a lot of people and he's not going to be popular with a lot of people at Everton. But the issue at the moment is one Premier League win in 12. OK, that's a win now, like we said on, on Saturday. That's the big issue, not whether he was Liverpool manager between 2004 and 2010. It's what he's doing with Everton in 2022. And that's the concern. But... Um, the one person who really matters in this, the owner, appears to be backing him, doesn't he? In fact, that he's backed those two transfer incomings very soon, the first week of the January transfer window. Big money, which hadn't been spent over the month, over the summer, has been spent. Okay, some of that, a lot of that will be coming back if Dean goes out the door. But he's backing the manager, and um, he's ultimately the man who makes the decisions. I mean, some of that might be down to the fact that he's his sixth manager in five years. I think if all those other managers hadn't come and gone before him, Benitez might have gone now, but that's hypothetical. Mr. Mashiri is backing Benitez as, as it stands. And um, yeah, he's not going to be popular with the fans. For, um, but I think uh, at the moment, that's that's more down to the way that the team are playing rather than, like I said, than those former Liverpool connections, although they're always going to play uh, a big part in that. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I think moving on from Saturday's game, Prano, uh, Everton have been almost denied the chance of getting a quick-fire potential back-to-back wins because uh, the Premier League announced on Sunday evening that they had accepted Leicester City's request to postpone their match against Everton for a second time. It was originally scheduled to take place on December the 19th, then got pushed back to January 11th, and now it's going to be pushed back again to a date which is yet to be confirmed. Uh, a Premier League statement said it was a com- combination of COVID cases, injuries, and players away at the Africa Cup of Nations, which is a uh, which has contributed to them allowing Leicester City's request in this case. And I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, I just think that's it. it kind of shows up the F- uh, the Premier League's rules, doesn't it? Because we've just had an FA Cup weekend where the FA applied different rules and they got managed to get every single game. On, and Leicester beat Premier League opposition 4-1 yeah. <laughs> across that weekend. It's, it's it's very strange, isn't it? I mean, the, the Premier League have clearly uh, pushed, pushed themselves into a corner with the rules that they've created, and the FA haven't. Um, you know, Premier League stipulate you've got to have eight, you know, first team players available, um, including a goalkeeper. You know, so otherwise, oh, sorry, no, thirteen was it uh, players, including a goalkeeper, but Leicester only have eight. And uh, as a result, you look at this. Okay, they beat Watford at the weekend, but it was a real mix and match formation. They had uh, Hamza Choudhury, uh, I can pronounce it that way, you know, midfielder playing centre back. They had a 16 year old kid playing, you know, so it was a real, you know, sort of patchwork team. But, you know, so the FA 
are keen to get the games played and are happy for that to happen. And, you know, it creates an opportunity for, you know, so some unexpected results and, you know, so a little bit of entertainment, if you like. The Premier League are probably a bit more concerned with, what's the phrase they use, you know, compromising the integrity of the competition and therefore wanting as first choice a squad as you can assemble available for their games. But because this has happened at the same time that the African Cup of Nations has taken place and because so many first choice players are away at that competition, um, they've pushed themselves in a corner. You could argue that, you know, so clubs like Leicester knew they were going to be losing a number of players uh, to this competition. Therefore, why didn't they take uh, steps to try and avoid that, you know, so and have you know, sufficient players in their first team squad? So they're using the system, undoubtedly. Uh, I can t- have some sympathy with the squad of players they've got available, but they are using the Premier League's rules against them. And are we suffering as ever, you know, football club at Everton? I, I don't know. I mean, looking at the way we finished the game on Saturday, extra time period we, we could have done without. As you mentioned earlier, our best player, Damari Gray, looking absolutely shattered. Um, you know, a couple of other little injury problems still like sort of niggling around. So was it, you know, an opportunity missed by not playing Leicester on Tuesday or an opportunity gained for us? I'm still not so sure. It gives Rafa a full week to prepare for a very, very important game now. So maybe it's done as a favour. We'll never know, to be honest. But the bottom line is, yeah, the Premier League have created a big problem for themselves uh, with, with these rules. And clubs are taking advantage of it. Uh, you know, so we did ourselves on Boxing Day at Burnley. Um, you know, so it went in our favour at that time. This one probably hasn't. But, you know, so it's happened. We're going to have to get on with it. But it's going to be a hell of a backlog second half of the season, isn't it? There's going to be a lot of midweek football uh, to, to be watched between now and the uh, end of April, beginning of May. Mm. Well, I think, Gav, the sticking point with many people is, you know, by the information that we got from our colleagues at Leicestershire Live, it's not necessarily COVID cases that's causing this for Leicester City. They've got a minimal number of COVID cases. It's more the fact of injuries and these players at the Africa Cup of Nations. And I think that's a sticking point with many fans, isn't it? Because I think many just believe that these were COVID measures that were brought in. Like Before COVID, you wouldn't see a Premier League game getting postponed because a team had an injury crisis and a couple of players on international duty, it just wouldn't happen, would it? No, no. Well, I've seen it occasionally, but not obviously not as often as, as what we've seen over the last, the last month. Um, I think there's an inter- it's an interesting rule, isn't it, when you read that it? it's 13 outfield players plus a goalkeeper, and it, it defines as first-team players, as players with first-team experience who played the Premier League. But mm. the FA Cup third round doesn't count. Doesn't count, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, well that's just that's just again, like like the VAR thing on 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 Saturday. How can you yeah. have a sort of competitions that within four days that are operating each other, operating in different uh, different rule sets? My my view is that just a lack of transparency about of it. You know, add is about what the players. What you define as injury? Mm. I mean, Anzos Townsend, I would imagine, could have legitimately not played on. On Saturday, come on! Oh, a hundred percent. He's still got a broken bone in his foot. Yeah, yeah. But did, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. So are you saying that injured? They definitely cannot play, or actually, at a push, they could play, but actually, we don't really want them to play. Is it? And and it's it's this lack of transparency. Well, how many? We know. I think there's four on Afghan duty, isn't it, for Leicester? Well, how many of the rest of the players who are injured? Who are they? And who the players are COVID? Who are they? Yeah. It's, it's simple as that. And, and 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 as ever, the ones who really suffer are fans, aren't they? You know, um, seen a few stories about people who paid a lot of money to for, for Tuesday night trains um, and hotels, etc. Yeah. And it's this this 
you know, and you've seen this with late postponements and, and once again, it's fans being cheated with us at this day. And there was a good point made by somebody last week that fans are cheated now. I'm not talking about by clubs. I'm talking about like the hierarchy, the Premier League, whatever. I'm not sure the Premier League is. The like, the like, uh, football manager, computer game crowds that they're just going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> whatever happens, so they're not individuals who spent a lot of money on 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 following clubs, and I feel sorry for them. And also as well, the other point I made is what was the point of rearranging the game for January when you know that one of the teams got four players away from on yeah. African Nations duty? Mm. You know, I mean, there's seven or eight games scheduled for January. Be interesting to see how many of them take place. Mm. Um, and oh, I'm mean, another final point because I've, I've thought all about this is what I raised last night. If the game is rearranged, if Leicester, if Leicester buy players now in January transfer window, should they be eligible to play in the rearranged game? Well, <laughs> I think I think that's it. No, 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 you know, if if we had Luca Dean, for example, for a, for Tuesday's game, we wouldn't yeah. expect us to sign him back and put him back in the squad. No, no, no. But, but if we have more players in January, because we play ours, but they couldn't play there. I just it's just devil's advocate stuff, um, and just the whole thing. It's just a lack of transparency, and indeed, like a lot of these things, the complete no silence from the Premier League about the yeah. whole the whole subject. You know, mm. um, an overarching statement is just an apologies for, to supporters and all this type of thing. And he's just, it, you know, you wouldn't. It's it's just what is the de- definition of it? Out injured yeah. is the is the thing that troubles me in all of this. It's, it's weird. I mean, Gavin will remember this, but 1997 when uh, when Middlesbrough were relegated, yeah, uh, yeah. they they failed to turn up for a game at Blackburn. Yeah. Uh, because they had a, I think it was a flu crisis at the club at the time, and they claimed they had 23 players missing with flu. And so the Premier League, you know, rather than being sympathetic and rearranging the game, they docked them three points, uh, took points off them because they failed to turn. And it wasn't like they just failed to turn up on the day. They told them that 24 hours beforehand, they think that, you know, they couldn't fulfil the fixture. But they were unsympathetic, and it led to a very, very unseemly legal wrangle going through the courts and all kinds. And eventually it was upheld, and Middlesbrough got relegated by two points, I think. You know, so it cost them... So, I don't know, you know, it's a long time ago, but, you know, are the people at the Premier League still mindful of that and concerned about, you know, sort of the legal ramifications of what happened then? And trying to be, you know, overly fair in this instance. I don't know. It's a mess there, isn't it? I, I, I just don't think, I know, sorry, need to move it on. I just, this this sets up dangerous precedents in the future, yeah. doesn't it? About mm-hmm. what is an injured player? Yeah. yeah. I think what we're going to have going forward as well, um, because... Unfortunately, it would seem in its various guises and different waves and variants, the uh, you know coronavirus is not going away anytime soon. It's going to be changing from pandemic to endemic, and like it's like in the past, if you had a few players out with the flu or whatever, it would, would, would be tough. You know, they're out. Yeah. On on you go with it. But um, now, obviously, you know it was a very new thing for us all in the world, wasn't it? And we had to deal with it accordingly. You know what I mean? unprecedented we you know for the first time in football's history we had games without crowds so you know that shows you how big a thing it was but going forward is it going to change where if you got a coronavirus yeah it's it is just like you know unfortunately it's still you know a killer for certain people and people who are vulnerable but for super fit young footballers is it just going to be 
it's like you've got a cold and you just got to get on with it. Maybe not for this season, but going forward, how do we treat it? It's 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 another sort of can of worms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's the the issue, isn't it? And I think it goes back to what you were saying, Gav, as well. The the fact that the Premier League in in all of these circumstances seem to just post the the exact same statements, just overarching. Uh, this was the reason why, and then they've just got this weird like four blocks of text which explain like their rules behind this and there's no there's no real there's no real apology there or sincerity behind it is there no 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 it's it's seeing people with a certain amount of disdain mm. well but people by the i mean supporters and, yeah. and the Premier League silence on a lot of these issues big issues is is, is deafening and um it, they should be doing better but uh i feel really some really sorry for the the fans in, in all of this um I mean, I'd love to sit at Goodison in the freezing cold January. Evening, <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, I'd be playing in a nice warm evening in late April or something like that, you know. But uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just it, it, there's something. It's a lack of transparency, and what is an injury is uh, is the issues for me. And it, and I think this this will happen next season, definitely, absolutely yeah. without a shadow of doubt for me. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We will move on to what I think is probably going to be the last topic of the podcast. Uh, mentioned it at the at the top of the pod. Uh, obviously, we've had some developments with Luca Dean's future over the last couple of days. Numerous reports have now suggested that Aston Villa are in advanced talks with Everton and with the left backs representatives over a transfer to Villa Park. Preno, what, what, what do you what do you say about what do you say about that? Um, I think in the circumstances, it's the best possible outcome. Um, whether you're a Luca Dean fan or not, and I've said on these podcasts in the past that I am, you know, so I like what he brings to the other team. He's 29 years old. We're getting our money back, you know, so on him. Uh, we're losing a very, very significant wage, you know, so a six-figure-a-week wage, which can be, you know, so split up. In fact, probably the two fullbacks that we've just recruited, you know, so it wouldn't cost as much as a, a Luca Dean's wage, you know, so wage-wise. So, you know, all in all, it, it's a decent it's outcome. Would it be an absolutely horrendous if um, Luca Dean had dug his heels in, you know, uh, and decided, you know, a la Chengtosin for argument's sake, and uh, and decided he wasn't going to move on anywhere. He was just going to sit and, you know, so happily pick up the wages for the rest of the season, even though the manager clearly doesn't want to use him. So in those circumstances, yeah, it's probably the best possible outcome. Um, it allows the manager to put his own imprint, you know, so on the squad even more. And he said so many times about the team collective being the most important thing. And you know, so many times he said about uh, well, in his press conference last week about you know how he doesn't want players that aren't interested in the uh, you know the team ethic as a whole. He had a little dig after the game on uh, on Saturday again where he talked about Andros Townsend demanding to be included, despite you saying still having a broken foot and saying that's the kind of attitude that we want in this squad, which is good. I applaud that. You know, so we want players like that and we want that attitude throughout the squad. And if losing a player that the manager believes doesn't, you know, sort of share those beliefs ultimately is is for the good of the squad as a whole, fine. But you know, so for me, I think it's the best possible outcome of a fairly, you know, sort of unsavoury situation which developed unexpectedly you know, so only the last like you know so month or two mm. I suppose Gav the, you know I've seen a lot of supporters who you know do agree with Preno's uh, summary there that you know especially in Everton's financial situation at the minute you can't be turning your nose up at making a, a profit on 
a player getting some big money in and being able to you know redistribute that across across the squad, I suppose. But it is that you know unprecedented situation between you know player and manager, which I think is still irking people a little bit. It's the manner in which Luca Dean is leaving the club because let's be honest, when he since he's joined, he's been one of our best players. He is on his game. He's a top quality left back, one of the best left backs in the Premier League. Maybe yeah. wasn't hitting those heights. Uh, over the last season or two, but you know, he was still producing some decent numbers. I think he got seven assists last season. His defensive numbers weren't weren't bad at all either. So, you know, we're we like Everton are losing a top quality player. And, you know, perhaps this situation between player and manager means that we're losing them on the cheap a little bit, really, aren't we? Uh I think the key the key phrase within that ad was maybe it's not hit the heights in the last year or so, whatever you said there, and that's that's one of the one of the issues, isn't it? And given his age, I've seen I've seen some positions carrying before carrying on our retro eighties talk while trying to say similar situation happened with the Howard Kendall and Steve McMahon in the uh, the summer of nineteen eighty three, where Howard sort of constructively moved McMahon out of the club because he needed the money to buy Trevor Stephen. Um, and I, I see I see lots of uh, similarities with that position than in this one. Um, Dean is what, 28, 29? Maybe his peak years behind him, perhaps. It's not 24. Um, got a decent fee. The bulk of this will be profit profit because he's been most of his transfer fee we've already accounted for. And we use that money to buy two younger fullbacks who's collectively but his wages are less than what he's on. He gets to a club that actually will give him more opportunities, maybe play for the style that is more accustomed to his game. The manager gets somebody who's actually causing them what used to be called in years ago, HR issues. Um, <laughs> the, the, I don't see anything wrong with any of that, to be honest with you. There's an outcome for anybody. Uh, yeah. I know a few supporters won't be happy, but... Some of this, some of this is down to. Remember, before Christmas, we were talking about Pickford being up in the link with Spurs, and we were saying, "Well, we can't get rid of Pickford," you know. You know, one of our blue chip players. But I think we were saying, "Well, actually, if Benitez needs to get, I've only been given two million pounds spent last summer. If he needs to bring in new players in for the fee who are decent, he's going to have to sell somebody, isn't he? He's going to, he's going to be sold for the profit. That's the only way you can do it. And for the manager, this is the only way." It's the only way we can rebuild the team, you know. So and 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 the players that he wants. So I think sometimes support. On the one hand, you can't criticise Benitez as a fan for selling Dean yet, but at the same time saying oh, you're not doing a good job because actually he's not been given any money to spend or had opportunities to bring his own players in, has he? So mm. there's a middle ground there, isn't there? Mm. Uh, yeah. So I, I I've not got one problem with this uh, with this deal whatsoever. Mm. I mean, bees. I've seen a couple of people making the point as well that you know it's not a Champions League club that Luca Dean is leaving to sign. I think you, like some fans could maybe understand if he was leaving to join Chelsea or some somebody like that who've been linked previously. It's Aston Villa, who at the start of the season you probably would have put it as as Everton's one of Everton's rivals essentially for for potentially qualifying for European football at the end of the season. Yeah, it's a sideways step if he does go to to Villa. You could, you know spend the rest of the day arguing about who's the bigger club and who's the best right now but it's not a lot in it and you know it's not a massive difference either way vagaries of form yeah he might have 
you know, fancied um, waiting for Chelsea. There's talk that, you know, that's the one he wanted to do. You know, I think he's very, I think he rates himself very highly, which is, you know, isn't a problem. Some professional players, but yeah, um, long term would just, you know, would he have been their, their number one? Um, I think in the circumstances, it it, it is, like I said, they, the best outcome and the, and the inevitable outcome, given that there has been a breaking down of the relationship from, from the start of December there. It, we would have been staggered if we'd been talking about this at the end of the season. Uh, sorry, to start the season, just saying, you know, because given he was the only left back at the club at the time, um, that Luca Dean would be going in January. But thing, things have happened, haven't they? There's been a fallout. Whichever side you want to fall down on that, or if you don't want to side fall down on any particular side, there's a problem between him and Benitez. And um, if he doesn't want to play for Everton, you get as much as you can for him. I hope that they do get a decent fee because I do fear that the public fallout could affect that Everton not getting quite as much but maybe they feel well if we, even if we get 80-90% of what they'd be expecting in the circumstances it's better off like get them off the books like we're saying um, I think Dave was saying his, his wages are probably more than um, the two new lads combined so and and, and the circumstances it does seem like the, 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 an inevitability really and I don't know what Luca Dean gets the chance to, you know, play for a manager who, who rates him or who perhaps is going to um, play to his strengths. He, he feels and you know, and get two younger players who uh, are hungry and um, want to go forward on, under the current management. So, yeah, that, I think is the, the best uh, outcome for everyone, as strange as that might have seemed at the start of the season. Mm. And I mean, just to finish off, Dave. I mean, let's say, let's say Luca Dean does leave. Do you think the fee that Everton get in for Dean would be offset by the two players that they've already signed, or would you expect them to then uh, go and spend a little bit more money and bring in perhaps you know midfielder, centre backs linked as well? Uh, would you would you expect to see more movement? Yeah, I would expect a little bit more. Um, maths was never a particular strong point of mine at school. But, you know, what are we looking at? 30 million in the vicinity for Luca Dean. Uh, what did we say? Patterson's, uh, was it 12? Uh, Michelin, oh, I think, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the way, I mean, Gavin knows just what I said that I do, but the way, you know, so transfer fees are structured now, um, you know, it, it's spread over a period of years. And, um, you know, there, there will be more, what's the horrible phrase, wriggle room, you know, so to bring in maybe one or two more. And uh, Rafael Benitez seemed very, very bullish at the start of the other transfer window. You know, he's already talked about uh, why he was 200% certain they would add uh, more players to the squad. And I think he still wants to. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, he's been linked with a new number of other players, uh, some of which have been well received by the supporters, others haven't. Uh, but you have to try and trust his judgment in this because it's been very good so far. Um, you know, there's been one or two that haven't, you know, sort of worked out, but the vast majority, vast majority, I mean, that many to be honest, but you know, so they have, you know, so our season has been kept afloat largely by Damari Gray and Andros Townsend so far. Um, so you know, a couple more players of that ilk will be very well received. So, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see at least one or two more yeah, before the window closes. There's still quite a bit of time, isn't it? It's like another three weeks virtually before the window closes, so a lot of time for a lot of activities that take place. And maybe even one or two more to move on. I mean, it looks like Cheng Tosin doesn't intend to move on. I think he's going to sit tight until the end of the season, which is a shame, given you know so how significant his wages are. Uh, but you know, there can always be one or two that take us by surprise. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but yeah, I'd hope that we'll see another one or two, you know, maybe before the window closes. Mm -hmm. 
you might have a busy time talking about transfers on this podcast for the rest of the month. But for today, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining me, lads. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back uh, later on in the week to preview Everton's trip to face Norwich City at the weekend. Uh, This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.